Welcome to the Transform Podcast, a podcast devoted to discussions of how the biblical worldview transforms all of life. I'm Corey Barnes, and with me is my co-host, Aaron Rice. So Aaron, by the time this podcast drops, we're going to be in the third week of December. Christmas is in full, just just full force. Uh, and uh, if you turn on the radio, you are going to hear Christmas songs and lots of Christmas songs. So uh, I, I don't know if I've asked you this before. How, what, what's your general disposition towards Christmas music? Well, honestly, I tend to avoid it as much as possible until we get to right after Thanksgiving this year. I succumbed to all the pressure of my wife and children, and we began listening as soon as XM put it up, really the second week of October. (laughs) So I've been listening to all of the uh, more um, secular songs uh, up until this... Um, as soon as we finished um, Thanksgiving, really got into Advent. So that's whenever I turn on the the more choral classics kind of uh, things that are really pointing me to a more sacred mindset that we are preparing in Advent. So uh, other than trying to sound highfalutin or super uh, holier than thou, you know, we really have been listening since October. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we... uh... Uh, we're pretty strict, and Kayla and I kind of stand together on this. We're pretty strict about not having Christmas music that we're playing prior to Thanksgiving. But this year, I was more excited than I typically am to turn on Christmas music. Right um, Now, I will say this. Uh, I am not a lover of, uh, I don't know exactly how to put this, just secular Christmas music. I don't mean that to say bad Christmas music, right? It's not It's not in any way wrong. I'm talking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer right, right. and Frosty the Snowman and Jingle Bells. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons uh, that I'm not big on those. And uh, one is whenever I was growing up, uh, for a large part of my childhood, from about six years old until about 12 years old, uh, Christmas wasn't something that my family did. We'll have to talk about that sometime. It was, it was weird and not something I really recommend. Um, and then... Uh, uh, there's um, also just the fact that I've never really gotten those songs. Like, uh, you know, especially Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, for some reason, makes me uh, just inordinately angry. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I'm not big on those, but really big on traditional carols. Uh, we've started listening to uh, uh, a, a children's group called Rain for Roots. It's mm-hmm. a Christian group. Sarah, uh, I'm sorry, Sandra McCracken. Um, is uh, one of the singers for that group. They have a, an album called Waiting Songs that we listen to every year, so I was really excited about those. But today, I'm excited to talk about uh, Christmas carols, and we're talking about Christian Christmas carols and how they can really move us towards celebration of Advent and then celebration of Christmas. So, you know, one of the things to, to put you on the spot as we begin, since you are, you know, a scholar in this area, this is your field, when we say Christmas carol, what, what does that even mean? Like, what's the idea there? Really, carols uh, hearken to a strophic style, which is really just a repeated idea that comes back. Um, you get, you've got the idea of the metrical style, and then you've, uh, which is very similar to a hymn, um, and then you'll have the the, the um, music that is similar to a hymn. It's repeated over and over, and they'll be geared toward a particular holiday or a particular theological idea. Um, and so you'll see these come up. Uh, you'll have Christmas carols, you'll have Easter carols. Um, we don't ne- necessarily refer to them as such, um, but they will um, oftentimes use a more lilting feel um, that uh, that can be used for this type of singing. And so you'll see these come up. And so a lot of times whenever I survey my students, you know, what Christmas carols do you like to sing? You know, honestly, sometimes I'll get 
well, I really like Mariah Carey. And I'm thinking to myself, nah, you know, that's not really what we're meaning when we're talking about carols. Carols are, are more often than not um, uh, are in that kind of strophic style, really particularly meant for worship or family gatherings. They have a yep. Christian influence and a Christian focus. And so one of the things that you and I have been talking about as we're preparing for this podcast is what carols can do for us and how they can form us and the way that they work in our lives. So I know you've got some thoughts on Oh Holy Night. What What are your directions with that or the reason that you think through singing that or not singing that? Yeah, I think Oh Holy Night is uh, an example of a collision of a couple of items whenever it comes to Christmas carols. So if you, if you think about the lyrics to Oh Holy Night, at the beginning of the song, so especially in the first verse, the, the lyrics that most of us remember, uh, there's there's very little that's actually being said. Um, so so we have this, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. This is the night of the dear Savior's birth, right? Several things about this that we, we just, one, has little historical connection to the Christmas story. Now, I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm, I'm not at all trying to be a jerk about how much we enforce, like, rigid historical veracity of the Christmas story. We talking in our last podcast on the Advent series about the, the Christmas story itself. But what I do recognize in the song is there are a lot of cultural ideals, so especially Western ideals, about what, you know, a peaceful and serene night it must have been when Jesus came into the world and how there must have been just this this weight that everyone involved felt of what was going on and the holiness was there to the point that the refrain in the song is night divine, right? Mm. Which, again, I'm, I'm not saying that it's blasphemous. I'm not saying it's wrong to sing it. If you like Oh Holy Night, that's great. But there's actually nothing divine about the night, right? And in fact, we don't even have it. We, we we don't even know when exactly Jesus was born, right? You we, mean it's not December 25th? Well, it could have been December 25th, but probably not. And uh, and and certainly, we don't have any real reason to celebrate on that date beyond just the tradition that comes with that. That would be a different topic for a different time. Right. So the the issue on this is is that most of the most of the carol is committed to kind of these words that are more about projecting a cultural narrative than they are about actually singing about the meaning of Christmas until you come to the the last uh, you, you come to the last verse of the song uh, and this is the line that that gets me every time it, it's change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease so we go from this very general and, and I would say relatively empty song. And I, again, I don't mean bad. I just mean not really dwelling on the deep truths of Christmas. To hear at the end of the song, we have, I think, one of the, the more wonderful uh, presentations of the work of Jesus's rule. And that is he is going to, to bring about slavery and oppression through the gospel, which which that verse also dwells on. So my interest in that is, is that it brings together two things. It brings together this cultural kind of idealized understanding of what it must have been like that's much more Western than it is biblical. And then at the same time, by the end of the song, is getting at the core of this. This is actually what the ministry of Jesus does. right? So so that's I, I just f- find it interesting because of the collision of those two items, which I, I think we see that collision in a lot of Christmas music. Right. So, um, so for, from your perspective, 
what are some of the more heavy hitters as far as just theology and when we're trying to think about songs that help shape us to celebrate Advent and to celebrate Christmas, what are some songs that, that you would just really put at the fore of our attention? So especially for those uh, who are not as familiar with Advent or are becoming more and more familiar with it, one of the first songs that, that I think of programming at the beginning of Advent, Advent 1 is always O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. One of the other ones that's one of, at the forefront is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, right? We're thinking again, just as a recap, what Advent is. It's a, a period of four weeks or four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, and it gives us the opportunity to put other things out of our mind and prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Christ. And we're not only celebrating the first advent or the first coming, but in a secondary way and even maybe a more meaningful way for us on the backside of the Christ event, we're looking forward to the second coming. And so as we celebrate these things and as we rehearse these things year after year, we have to say, whoa, stop that beginning uh, to listen to Christmas music on October or whatever date and focus our minds on a more waiting and a patient and a longing mindset. And so the way that I do that and the way that um, churches for centuries have done that is through the programming of songs to sing that would focus their minds on worship. And so again, those two that I would suggest us to begin to look at are um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Come the Long Expected Jesus. For us this afternoon, I want us to really think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that is chock full of imagery that leads us to a deeper understanding of the incarnation and the longing for his presence. And so if you think about this and, and begin to research some of the history, one of the first papers that I did in one of my graduate um, hymnology classes was talking about this is really a, a, a a condensing and a, um, making it a metrical, singable style, this song, as opposed to having it be in um, in a plain chant or a plain song uh, of style. And so what it is, is it's seven antiphons that are sung, seven, uh, seven periods uh, preceding Christmas Eve, and then it's condensed for us to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So each of those verses is a condensing and a, uh, making it metrical for the opportunity for congregations to sing. And so you see a characteristic of Christ, see a part of his character and a part of his nature in each verse. So if you think about each one of those, I'll quickly read them. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. The next one's O Come, O Come, of Rod of Jesse Free. The next one, Come, Thou Dayspring from on high. The next one is, Come, Thou Key of Jesse. Come, Adonai. Come and change us. So all these that you're seeing, come wisdom, come desire of nations, they're all a portion or even a fulfillment of these prophecies that we're singing. So we're constantly focusing on a, a point of Christ's nature, a point of fulfillment of prophecy as we sing this. So many of the hymnals that we sing from, they don't have all of the verses and you kind of lose some of that progression in thought, but it's so healthy for us to rehearse the realization that Christ is the prophecy. And so I would encourage each of you, 
as you're listening, maybe at another time, go find it. Look it up. Just Wikipedia for that matter and see these verses and how they progress in the coming of Christ, in the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, is as it goes through that progression, it begins with the the beckoning. So putting the, putting the singer in the position of Israel, beckoning God to send the Messiah to ransom captive Israel, mm-hmm. right? The refrain is the same throughout, and this this is one of the things that it's, you know, it, at least theologically, I don't know if musically it's functioning this way, so, so my musical terminology might be way off, but the refrain functions almost as a, a call and response. Mm-hmm. So where you have a you, you have the the proclamation, this is what we desire, O God. And then the refrain, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, will come to thee, O Israel. A couple of things here. One is the Emmanuel language being picked up from the, the prophecy of Isaiah. So we have this reminder that what is Jesus? Jesus is God with us. He is the promise of God's presence with us on earth. And then the 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 lines, the the initial call that we get, especially at the beginning, is ransom captive Israel. All of these prophecies, whenever we're reading through them, we often forget the situation of Israel whenever the the prophecies in the Old Testament are given of the coming Messiah. That context. That's right. They're either going into or in Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. So these are the contexts that we get. Even the, the few post-exilic prophets that we have. So we're thinking here about prophets like Zechariah. They've returned from exile in Babylon, but they're still under the, the powers of a Persian king. And in this context of captivity and of, of being controlled by foreign powers, they cry out to God, deliver us, take us out of this, send this promised king to David, send the, 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 you know, the stem that's going to come from Jesse's line and, and do something with us, bring us out of captivity. And the refrain over and over, Emmanuel will come to you. Now, this connects with what we talked about in the meaning of Advent. This is still very much our situation. This has been transformed for us because of the first coming of the Messiah in Jesus Christ, where we do find that God answers all these cries of Israel and fulfills all of his good promises to Israel in the person work of Jesus Christ. And now as we live in the church and, and we are looking towards his second coming, still saying, God, though we, we live in your church and we live under the reign of King Jesus, we live in a, in a culture and in a world that is oppressive to the gospel where evil reigns and wickedness prospers, come to us and our hope is ever the same. Emmanuel will come to us in the second coming when Jesus consummates his kingdom. It's this beautiful land and tension tension of the already and the not yet that we're experiencing, especially during Advent. We're rehearsing these things in our hearts and remembering what has happened and yet longing for the day that Christ's reign will be renewed and we will see that and feel that all around us and the chains will be broken and uh, the captives set free and oppression will cease, right? And so it's that already and that not yet that we're rehearsing during this time, that time of dark shadows and yet knowing that the bright light of Christ is here and will come. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it will bring unity, which is you know how how the you know how the the carol ends, you know you know come desire of nations bind all people in one heart and mind like that's the so when we think about this as Christians at Christmas when we think about what we sing again it's not that we 
need to avoid these other things. It's not that singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with your kids in the car is somehow going to just destroy the meaning of Christmas. What it does mean is that if we fail as individual believers, as families, and then certainly as churches, to dwell on these deep things of God and these deep theological truths through song at Christmas time, what we're missing out on is the true celebration of Christmas. Right. I think there's uh, another... Uh, level of worldview um, access that we can think through here just briefly. And it's really the way that we analyze what we consume often, right? Whether it's media or, or even the way that we converse and those sorts of things, there is an engaged, um, a mentally engagement uh, idea of the way that we consume, thinking about these things. That's what makes different between Western art music and, uh, um, you know, Beyonce. Mm-hmm. We don't have to think a whole lot about Beyonce, but we do have to think about Brahms' Second Symphony, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to understand it and appreciate it and take it in. It's kind of similar when you're thinking about the consumption of Christmas carols or Christmas songs. Do I have to think about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? No. Do I sing it to the top of my lungs with whoever it may be or White Christmas with Bing Crosby? Of course I do. But I have to think about and appreciate and dwell on the ideas that we see in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or a, a, a myriad of other um, uh, Christmas carols that help us to focus our mind's attention and our true heart's affection mm-hmm. on who Jesus is. Yeah, and, I, and, and in that, this is something that we need to, to think through here, and that is that celebration is linked to discipline. Mm. We, we don't think about celebration in that way. But much of what's happening as we as individual, and again, just thinking through this at various levels, individuals, families, churches, as we are celebrating, we discipline ourselves to celebrate in a particular way. And part of what we need to to understand in this discipline is that we not only sing those songs that are convenient, we not only sing those songs that may proliferate the culture, but we also sing those songs that are worth singing because they bring us to the heart of the celebration. Disciplining ourselves in such a way moves us towards the heart of the celebration. And like all discipline, it does get easier as we progress forward. And I think that really is the essence of what we've been talking about over these last two episodes and now in the third, is the discipline that it takes to truly celebrate Advent. It's It, it takes a discipline to say, you know what? I want to sing these songs and I want to celebrate them, but it will truly mean more if I wait and if I discipline myself to think through what are these prophecies being fulfilled? How can I experience them today in 2019 in such a way that would help me remember that and long for something else? And then on Christmas Day, it is glorious to taste of that celebration that you have waited for, right? Something that you wait for and discipline yourself for means so much more whenever you have gone through that, gone through that waiting period so that you can celebrate together. And like you said, it's totally about discipline. Yeah, yeah. And so as we as we come to a close on this, one more carol that I think we should bring up as we think about how we are disciplining ourselves for the celebration of Christmas, a song uh, that, that I love singing. In fact, this is a song that our families have sung together in the past. And that's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So what is it that's so wonderful about that song? Why is it why is it just so foundationally precious as we celebrate Christmas? I think that it shows us just in a couple of verses, three verses, really yeah. the essence of the incarnation, that, that Christ came 
and that he dwelt among us. He took on flesh that we would have the opportunity to be reconciled to our God. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel story. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins with no hope Mm -hmm. for reuniting with Christ and with our God. And Christ, but God, who is great and rich in mercy with with the love that he loved us with, gave us Christ. And we see that in this text. And so as my kids are running around singing it, they, they love singing it because they sing it in church, but they also love singing it because of the peanuts. You know, it's one of those uh, collisions, again, that we've talked about already. But you think about even in the first verse, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic's host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I think that it really gets to the essence of the glory of God being shown up abroad because he has chosen to save sinful people and to bring us back to himself. Yeah. Yeah, and that one of the things about the the song as well is it it begins with here's the glory because of the work that Christ has accomplished. How has he accomplished it? And it's really when you when you think about the 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 carol it's a Christmas carol because it begins with glory to which king? The newborn king, mm. right? Now, we take that out. The rest of the verse actually still works. Sure. But then we, you know, the 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 later lyrics as we go through the subsequent verses, that it's, you know, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Here, here's an important point. We live in a culture. We live in an age, and we even often live in an evangelical Christian culture that has tried to flatten out the depths of theological truth. Christmas carols, these beloved songs that that many of us grew up loving to sing, are wonderful opportunities, not only to sing because of tradition, not only to sing because of emotion, but to sing in such a way that we become overcome and overwhelmed with the deep theological truth in the carols. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, how many times, and this is regrettable, but how many times are we going to sing about the Godhead? Here's an opportunity. And the imagery is quite beautiful. I mean, the way that it's written there, veiled in flesh. I mean, for us as Western Christians, when do we see veils? We see them at a wedding, right? Yeah. And we're able to see through. It's, it's a thin thin veil that we can see through. That The God of the ages, the God of creation is veiled in flesh. But the beautiful thing is we still know that he is God, mm-hmm. right? And so it's this beautiful opportunity for us to see his humanity and his deity on display at the same time, cloaked in this thing, this thing that mars us, this thing that weighs us down. He was weighed down, and yet he was still God and never sinned and was able to accomplish what we never could. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful image that we see that you can see through this veil and know that he is God, and yet he is clothed in this thing that we could never get rid of but that has has um, that he has used to reconcile us. Just beautiful imagery. Yeah. Well, as we summarize all this, uh, just to admonish our listeners, be intentional with what you sing. Uh, it, it's not so much about worrying about singing, you know, quote unquote secular songs because they're bad. It's making sure that you spend time singing these holy, just wonderful songs that are blessings to Christians and blessings to the church. 
during this uh, this time and celebration. So we, we certainly encourage our, our listeners to do that uh, during Advent and during their celebration of Christmas. Thank you so much for listening to the Transformed podcast. Transformed is a resource provided by Shorter University, a Christian liberal arts university in Rome, Georgia. For more resources provided by Transformed, including podcast episodes, book reviews, and articles, check out transformed.shorter.edu. For more information on Shorter University, go to shorter.edu. Tune in as we continue to discuss Advent next week. We look forward for you to join us in that conversation. Thanks, y'all.